I can't even paint at all, other than doors and things, you know. <sighs> let's sell our hearts, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you were promised to us by the Lord Jesus as the one who would speak of him, who would reveal him to us, who would take what belongs to you and open it up for us. And so we pray today, Holy Spirit, put Jesus very clearly before our minds, our hearts, the imagination of our eyes, so that we see him and believe in him. Empty cross, empty tomb, living Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it's Easter Sunday. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, Easter is about chocolate and bunnies and chicks and spring flowers and Sunday roast and cards and whatever else. But like Christmas, Easter's moved a long way from the point of the festival. Easter is a matter of life and death. The whole whole bigger thing than chocolate. At the very heart of Christianity and of the gospel are two events which we know happened at this time of year, which is the, the Jewish Passover festival. That is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me go up to some scripture. This is Paul writing. I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ, Jesus the Messiah, died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that's the Old Testament prophecies, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is the name of Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Now, a good part of me would love to just talk to you about Jesus. By the way, there's some notes at the back there, and some pens. If you want a copy of the notes, just go now and get some. Don't worry about it. I should have told you when we were... uh, walking around, but if you want a copy of the notes, Matt's got some, he'll give you one to you. I'd like to just talk about Jesus on Easter Sunday, but you know, you can't ever really talk about Jesus without talking about us as well, because the reason he became human was so that we might come back to God. His journey into this world was so that he could, he could pick us up and take us with him, in that sense. That we might be joined to him, and in being joined to him, we're joined to God. So, we believe that Jesus was crucified, died, and was laid in a tomb. We believe that three days later he rose to life and is himself the giver of life. And this, as you saw earlier in one of the videos, is not a history lesson. It's a present reality. These facts change our lives. The gospel, the good news, is all about Jesus and it completely changes our life. Christians do not worship a historical teacher, a philosopher or a guru called Jesus. They worship the living Lord Jesus who is alive from the dead. And his death and resurrection has made the way for our death and new life. Now, we often hear a lot about new life, resurrection. We sung songs about it earlier, but I need to tell you, 
Uh, first of all, this morning, it's a very, sounds an obvious saying, but you can't have resurrection without first dying. Resurrection doesn't happen unless you're already dead. Jesus was entombed as a corpse, but rose again as the living Lord. And the gospel brings to us both resurrection, but also death. Jesus rose from the dead after three days in the tomb. Dying comes before resurrection. The same holds true for us. If we believe that Jesus died, I'm going to go through the scriptures in a minute or two with you, then we also died to sin. We died to condemnation, to death. The wages of sin, the penalty for rebellion against God is capital punishment, death. But because Jesus has died... We have died. The punishment's been born. If we believe that Jesus is raised again to life, then we also are raised with him to new life. This is what we believe. These things. It's what we act out in baptism. Tank of water. That, we fill that with water. That's where we baptize people. And, and we act it out. Buried with him in baptism putting an old life into a watery grave, raised again to newness of life. That's why we don't do babies. It's inappropriate. This is for people who are putting away an old way of life and laying hold by faith of a new life in Jesus. We give thanks for babies and we we dedicate them to the Lord, but we baptise people of responsible age who can repent of their sins and say, I want my old life to go and be dead and have a new life in Jesus. And therefore, this is how we then behave as people who've died to an old way of life and are raised again to a new way of life. Jesus takes away your old, selfish, proud, and yet strangely self-destructive life and gives us his life. We learn to follow him and live as he did, by faith in God the Father, in dependence upon an obedience towards God, listening, trusting, asking, receiving, learning, doing. It's the life of Jesus in us, new life. Listen, it's not your old life improved or enhanced by Jesus. Jesus is not in the life improvement business, he's in the life replacement business. But that kind of improved thing, you know, how to, how, to, how to get on better in life is falsely represented by much Christian media. Jesus will improve your life. He'll advance your career. He'll fill up your bank account. But Jesus is not a self-help guru. He's the crucified, crucified and resurrected Savior and Lord. He calls you to die to your old life with him and to embrace a new life with him. Now I know what I'm saying to you sounds very different from what you might hear in some places. But this is the gospel truth. This is New Testament teaching. It's the oldest of old time religion, folks. All right? Now I'm going to read you a long passage of scripture. I'm going to try not to preach it as I go. It's Romans 6, the whole chapter. Talking about the grace of God. God's free gift of forgiveness because Jesus has died for us. What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. That's why I like this translation. But as those who are alive from the dead offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you. Because you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if, so, that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over and have become set free from sin. You became enslaved to righteousness. I'm speak, using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh, your human nature. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them, offer yourself as slaves to righteousness which results in sanctification For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you're now ashamed of? The outcome of those things, that way of life, is death. But now, since you've been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I, didn't, I didn't preach it all. I didn't. Let me give you the headlines here. All right? God has accounted us as having died and risen with Jesus. It's, he's figured it that way. He's, he's written it out. He's said it that way. He reckons it that way. This is how God sees those who believe in Jesus. That you died to sin when Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. And that you have a new life in him because Jesus rose again for you. He reckons it. It's the way... Thank you. <laughs> it's the way he has reckoned it. Therefore... 
the capital punishment that was due to us has already happened in Jesus and to us in Jesus. He didn't just die instead of us, he died with us. We were counted to him, with him, when he went to the cross. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just rise for us. Again, the scripture clearly says he rose with us. We were counted in him when he rose again. So what do we have to do? We've got to acknowledge and accept that we have died to our old life and have been raised to new life in Jesus. God reckons it. We need to reckon it. Consider it. Work it through. Reason it out. Because believing comes before behaving. And we need to think it as God thinks it and say it as he says it. We will live as we think in our hearts. And if we don't accept the truth, we won't live by the truth. In fact, we'll struggle to live by the truth. So reckoning as God has reckoned, and in Jesus we've died to sin, to our old way of life, and by his resurrection we're brought into new life, that really matters. You need to reckon it. Which is why you need to get hold of the gospel and keep believing the gospel and, and, and learn it and know it and be able to say it to yourself and say it to others, this is the truth of the gospel. This is what the resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is all about. So that we, have, that we may die to an old godless way of life, a self-destructive way of life, and have a new life because Jesus gives us new life in and through his resurrection. We just read it. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's Paul spelling it out, saying it for himself. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying the death and resurrection of Jesus are not just something I believe happened. They happened for me, with me, and they now work in my life. But there's more than just accepting and acknowledging. You need to act on it. You need to put it into action. Faith is not just thinking, feeling, believing in that sense. It's also obeying, doing, living, acting. One writer in the Bible, James, says, faith without works is dead. A faith that doesn't do anything is not a real thing. Our thinking must change and our living must change. And every day we live is marked by decisions and actions. Those decisions and actions go in two directions. They either lead us away from God or they, they show that we're following the Lord. We live out the truth of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We learn by God's grace to say no to things that are harmful to us and displeasing to him. And we learn to accept and to do what is right and good. We've become, to use the language of Romans 6, slaves of righteousness. You know, the gospel doesn't say, you were a slave, now you're free. It says, you were a slave of sin, now you're a slave of righteousness. God owns you. You thought you owned you, but that was, yeah, that's another matter. God owns you. Now. 
Day by day, hour by hour, even moment by moment, we lay hold of this new life in Jesus. And at the same time, we're putting to death the deeds and habits of an old life that belongs to the grave. Now, I didn't want to scare any youngsters, so I didn't put any pictures up here. But There's something very gruesome about something dead that won't stay dead, isn't there? You know, the horror genre has its vampires and zombies and all kinds of other undead characters. Of course, none of them are real. I promise you, none of them are real. But there's something in us that not only fears death, but even more so fears the dead not staying dead. So Christian, listen. The pull of your old life is a lie. It's a dead man talking. How do you deal with that? You talk back by declaring the truth of the gospel. I'm crucified by Christ, but I'm living by now by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Say it and live it. Make the decisions, take the actions. The Bible does tell us to put to death the deeds of the old life. I thought you said we died by Christ. Yes, that's true. But the old life is still kind of buzzing around, a bit like you know when you cut a piece off some creatures and they don't want to die yet. So what do you do? Kill the zombie. Stake through the heart. That's a good attitude towards your old way of life. In fact, one old Pentecostal preacher said, the best thing with the, the old man is to, he put it this way, it's not exactly biblical, to bury him six feet down with his face downwards. The more he digs, the deeper he goes. But let me give you for nothing the recipe for how to live as a disappointed and ineffective Christian. Hang on to your old life and keep going back to it. That's a recipe for great discomfort, great unhappiness. People joke about miserable sinners. I've seen a lot of miserable Christians because that's what happens. You keep going back, digging back up your old life. You can't have resurrection without first dying. It's true for us too. But we have died with Jesus. The old is dead. We acted out in baptism. It's buried. We've been raised with... I remember saying to a guy in the East End of London um, years ago, and you know, he was an East Ender. He'd had a rough life. He'd had a criminal life and all the rest of it. And he said, I, I'm so bothered about my old life, David. I said, listen, listen, man. I said, do you know where we're putting it? I said, I'm being crude here. Down the sewer. He went, what? I said... Well, when we pull the plug out of the baptism pool, that's where it goes, doesn't it? He said, what, my whole life's going down the sewer? Yes. He went, yes! <laughs> Jesus gives us new life in exchange for the old one, which is, dying, which is, gonna, which is dead, dead, bury it, forget it, kill it. This new life never becomes old. Every day is a new day. One scripture in the prophet says, his mercies are new every morning. We live, and Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, you know, has troubles, but tomorrow also has grace for us. We live in constant dependence upon the grace of God and the help of the life-giving Holy Spirit. Every day is an opportunity to grow 
to learn and to do better than we did yesterday. You see, that's optimism. Why not? God's grace is available for you to do better today than you did yesterday. A couple more A's for you about how we handle this gospel message. Since God has adopted us as his children, we have to adapt to this new way of life. You know, we've been taken out of one kind of lifestyle and one kind of set of values and, you know, one family kind of atmosphere, you might say. It's a family, of, sadly, of Satan. It's full of wickedness and lies and deceit and corruption and immorality and impurity and, and violence and wickedness of all kinds. And suddenly we're living in, in, the, in, in the family of a holy God and a just God and a loving God. There's a whole heap of adapting we've got to do to learn to live this new life in this new relationship. But God has adopted us. And it's not conditional on how well you do. He puts you in his family. Didn't even ask you if you wanted it. Chose you before you were born. Chose you before he made the world. And this new life is a Godward life. It looks to him. We live for him as those alive from the dead... Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. There's Paul again in another scripture. The love of Christ compels us. Since we've reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Jesus is alive right now. That's why when you dare to pray for someone who's sick, especially if they're not a Christian, if they're out there in the workplace or in a coffee shop or whatever else, you know, the Lord just might turn up and heal them because he's alive. He shows himself alive. He did it by showing the wounds on his hands and inviting Thomas, who had doubted, put his hand in, in his ribcage. Feel the wound there, Thomas. But now Jesus shows himself alive by healing people, by changing lives, by rescuing people, by forgiving their sins. And again and again, people here are witnesses, testimony to others that Jesus is real and Jesus is alive because their lives have been changed by him. Amen. He's showing himself alive to this day. In Harlow. This good news, these, which, is, which is centered on these two huge events, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus at Easter time, is this Easter story at work in you? Does it change your life? You may say, well, I believe that, Pastor, but does it change the way you live? Is death and resurrection working in you? The gospel is a life and death issue. God calls you to die, or rather to recognize that in Jesus you did die. And to live again in and through his son Jesus. Fix your eyes and your faith on him. I want you to imagine, if you can, an empty cross. Jesus was there, but it's now empty. But also an empty tomb. Jesus was there, but he's alive. And then one final thing. Imagine in your heart what the Mary and the women 
and the disciples and finally even Paul himself saw a risen, living Jesus who claims to himself all power, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's who we're dealing with. Let me ask you something. Have you become a Christian? Have you trusted in Jesus? And have you, if you've become a believer, have you washed away your old life in baptism? Dead to the old way of life, embracing a new way of life in Jesus. It's an appeal to God for a fresh start. It's an appeal to God for a clean conscience. You remember what you were, but you're no longer chased by it, condemned by it, because you know you've laid hold of the forgiveness of God through Jesus. And you act it out in baptism. Baptism's a... You know, people say, oh, that was a powerful piece of acting. Two of the most powerful pieces of acting happen regularly for church people. They're breaking bread when we remember the body of Jesus broken for us and baptism when we we bury an old life and embrace a new life in Jesus. I've got another video for you. I told you we were going to be different this morning. And when I've done the video, I'm going to pray with you. And... uh, and then we're going to sing a song and have another song to finish. And we'll be finished just after half past. So if that panics people who are serving in the kitchen, I'm sorry, but we are finishing early. Here's the video.